This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamecom slash donate. Thank you for listening. Our scripture that was previously read came from 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter, and the reading was from the 1st through to the ninth verse. But allow me to lift up verse 5, verses 5 through 7, which reads, So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. C.S. Lewis is quoted as saying, It is better to show someone that they are wrong than to tell them. The point being that very often when we see people doing things that are wrong, our natural tendency is to begin telling them how wrong they are. We take very little time to try and understand their motivations or even the possibility that they may be mis- or uninformed about what they are undertaking or doing at that moment. Our natural tendency is to immediately pass judgment on the situation and proceed quickly to executing corrective admonishment and sentencing only to find out later that we might have been misguided. Why we default to this, I'm not sure, and I am chief of them. But the fact is, many of us believe that we have an inherent right to tell people how wrong they are. Well, I want you to know, and especially based on the scripture lesson today, that C.S. Lewis was in fact correct. It is better to show someone that they are wrong than to tell them. But in order to show someone that they are wrong, you have to first be given authority to do so. In other words, you need to be operating from a place of inspiration and conviction that is based on God's word, not your own, before you can engage in speaking truth to power. And so, with this in mind, I want to speak a message today that I have titled, The Prophetic Voice. The Prophetic Voice. Let us pray. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you now for this preaching time. We thank you, Lord, that we can put our trust in you, for your word is true. Now, Spirit of the living God, as you have now entered into this sacred space, as you have inspired the musician to take us to that point in the service where we can hear from you 
inspire now this preacher that the words that I may speak will be thus saith the Lord. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. King David of Israel was known for his diverse skills at both being a warrior and a great administrator. In his 40 years as a ruler, David united the people of Israel, led them to victory in battle, conquered lands, and paved the way for his son Solomon to eventually build the holy temple. David was the eighth and youngest son of Jesse, who is from the kingly tribe of Judah. He was also a direct descendant of Ruth the Moabite. You know David. But prior to his ascent to the throne, David began his life as a shepherd in Bethlehem. One day the prophet Samuel came, called him out of the field, and anointed him without the knowledge of King Saul, but anointed David to be the next king of Israel. The first time David publicly displayed his courage, you know the story, was when as an inexperienced boy, he took with a stick and a few stones, he, he confronted a nine-foot Philistine, dare I say, bronze-armored Philistine giant named Goliath. After skilled warriors had cowered in fear over this immense giant, David, with a slingshot and invoking the name of God, killed the giant. After this, Saul took David on as commander of his troops, and David formed a close friendship with Saul's son, Jonathan. David was successful in many battles, and this aroused the jealousy of Saul, who tried to kill David on numerous occasions, but David stayed with Saul, however, and later became Saul's son-in-law when he married Saul's daughter, Michael. Now, the reign of David can actually be divided up into two parts. The first part of David's reign was over Judah, which lasted seven and a half years, with Saul's son Ishbosheth reigning over Israel in the north, with David in the south of Judah. And with all the fighting that was going on in the region, Israel in the north became weaker and weaker. That's the first part of David's reign. The second part of David's reign came after the fall of Saul's kingdom. Israel assembled in great numbers at Hebron and asked David to become the king over the entire nation. And this, now, with the unifying of the nation, lasted for David, David for 33 years. So David was a successful king. He not only defended Israel, but he subdued other nations, conquering the Philistines, the Moabites, the Syrians, the Edomites, and the Ammonites. And when you are, are having all these kinds of victories over your enemies, it is clear that God is with you. David was also noted for bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Mount Zion, a center where the people could worship. So when you look at David's life and you look at David's trajectory, it is easy to see that David was indeed a man after God's own heart. I went through all of this, all of this, just to make this point that David was a most beloved king. He was protector of Israel, and he was anointed of God. And in the eyes of the public, David 
could do no wrong. But just like in ancient Israel, our modern day culture in America produces people who like David could seem in the eyes of the public could do no wrong. And we see some of these people as great men. We hear of people like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, John Kennedy, etc. Great figures who rose to great offices and who embody the hopes of their people just like David. Likewise, in the religious community and in the church, we see people emerge and they are lauded and they are celebrated. People like Jimmy Swaggart, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Ted Haggard, Eddie Long, Bill Hybels, Rabbi Zacharias, you name it, the list goes on and on. People who have established themselves in the public sphere as people who are worthy of some kind of acknowledgement that God was with them from their successes. But as you all know, just like David, all of these folks had their moments of indiscretion. You see, they were not perfect people. And just like David, with all their decorated accomplishments, these things became overshadowed by their succumbing to some form of temptation which complicated their witness. With all the things that God has been doing for them, with all the things that they have to show for how far they have come, somehow, some way, something happened which compromised their work. Now my point in bringing all of this up to you is not to point fingers at anyone or to judge anyone because the truth of the matter is what I am observing and bringing to your attention is that there is a marked difference between what we see in the biblical record and compared to what we are seeing today. Today, kings and presidents emerge with all kinds of abuses to their authority, and they not only go unchecked by their own laws, their own systems of governance, but they also go unchecked by those of us in the ministry who have been called to speak truth to power. And our failure to speak this truth to power to leaders is simply because we too have emerged with our own abuses of authority that have gone unchecked by our own book of discipline, our own governance in the ministry. We cannot speak truth to power as people of God because we, we have in large part lost our moral authority. Many people in the pulpit, instead of saying, thus saith the Lord, they say, this is what I say. When did we become the voice of God? David as a great man and a great king that he was, fell into sin. But as soon as that happened, he was confronted. David fell, and in his attempt to conceal his salacious and scandalous act, he was immediately confronted by the prophet Nathan. And this conf confrontation sets up for us, and something I want to bring to your collective consciences today, something called the prophetic ontology. It's a big word. The word ontology literally means the existence of things, or more simply, the way things are. 
in the word of the Bible, the way things are can be described somewhat as a spiral. What do we mean? At the center of life, even in our day today, we have the king. The king sits at the center of all life. But in the world of the king, there is a spiral that goes on. In the world of the king, he is surrounded by advisors. And as a spiral continues to go around, he then is surrounded by leaders. As you continue with the spiral, he's then surrounded with the voices of the citizens. Then, nations. What's my point? This is the world of the king. And what happens is outside of this world, outside of all that you're seeing here, rests Yahweh, God. God is outside of every single thing that you and I see, everything that you and I understand. God cannot be put in any box. God is outside the world of the king, the advisors, the leaders, the citizens, the nations. God is outside of your religious belief system. God is outside of everything. But now what you need to understand is that while God is outside of everything, this is what we mean when we say God is transcendent. God is not a victim to anything that you can think or imagine. God is transcendent. He doesn't fit in anyone's boundaries. The song says he, he reigns. He, he reigns over everything. He's not Pentecostal. He's not Baptist. He's not Lutheran. He's not Presbyterian. He's not Roman Catholic. He's not Buddhist. He's not Muslim. He's not Hindu. He's not Church of God. He is not AME nor CME nor UME. Whatever you think God is, he is not. He is God and there is none like him. And because God is transcendent, he is at liberty to use anything or anyone in his kingdom to manifest his will. Now, as it relates to human affairs, God impacts society by influencing the kings of this world through his word. And he does this best through the prophet. You see, the prophet is a person who has been given spiritual gifts that allow them to be used by the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit to interpret and apply God's revelation within a given situation. The prophet is to provide the wherewithal whereby hope becomes possible again to a community of kings and people who are now living in despair in their royalty. Prophets are people who tell it like it is. Prophets could understand what was going on around them. Prophets had great insight. Prophets were closest to reality because they were the closest to the word of God. Prophets spoke the truth. And yes, prophets spoke to kings. But prophets were not only prophets when they were walking around. They only became prophets whenever they said, thus saith the Lord. In other words, what I am about to tell you or say to you is not coming from me. It's coming from God. So don't take it personally. This is not about you and me. That's why the prophets all began with, thus saith 
the Lord. It's not my word. It's not what I think. It's not what I believe. It's what God says. Now, <laughs> the prophets in the Bible, they really understood two paradigms, and I'll illustrate it some more. Two paradigms these prophets understood. They understood, one, the word of God, and secondly, they understood the cycles of life. Two things that the prophets understood, the word of God and the cycles of life. When we speak about the word of God, it simply means to acknowledge that God's word was divine and that it was absolute. This means that truth was not ever what the king said, what the world said, what society said, what the CDC said, or even what Dr. Fauci says. Truth is always what God said, and that alone was the absolute. This is what the prophets understood. But then the second thing that the prophets understood was the cycles of life. When the prophets came into Israel with God's word, they needed to understand where the nation was in the cycle of life. This allowed them to be able to speak accurately about what was going on in the world of the people. Stay with me, church. Because you've got to understand not just when prophets come, but why they come. And two things that prophets brought, they brought either repentance, which was only done as an act of worship, or they enacted some kind of social reform, which was to establish justice and righteousness. I shared with you before the prophetic ontology, that God is outside the world of us. But what God would do is God would influence our world and our society by doing what? Sending his word to the king. This is God's word. And he would send the word to the king whenever something was wrong. And the king would impact everyone within their world. But the problem and the challenge is, brothers and sisters, is when does the word of God come? When does God send his word? Well, I'm going to show you. This is what I mean by the cycles of life. There were two cycles. There was the cycle of destruction. And there was the cycle of life. Cycle of destruction, or we could call it death, or the cycle of life. You and I, brothers and sisters, we are operating in either one of these two cycles. And so what you need to understand is in the first cycle, let's look first at the cycle of life. In the first cycle, you have the option to obey. When you obey, it leads to the blessings of God. When you obey God's word, it leads to his blessings. But after you have been blessed by God, what comes next, brothers and sisters, is testing. And then, when you are tested, you'll hear more from God, and the cycle continues. I hope you're seeing this. In the cycle of life, you obey God's word, you get God's blessings, you are then tested you hear more from God, which leads to greater blessings. This is the cycle of life. 
But there is the cycle of destruction and the cycle of death. And in the same way, church, I hope you're staying with me, it begins with disobedience. And what happens when we disobey? We are punished or cursed, which is a better word to use. You're cursed. You disobey, and then you are punished, and you are cursed. Then, when you have been cursed, or you have been punished, it leads to a turning. And we call this repentance. But when you get to repentance, it then leads to seeing. And very often, when we rely on what we see, we go into further disobedience. So look at this, my brothers and sisters, and I pray God is speaking to your spirits as I demonstrate this. Yahweh is outside of our world. And whenever there is a problem in our world or in the nation, God sends a prophet, a messenger. He sends the church. He sends a pastor. He sends someone to speak to the king. He sends his word. And when the word of God comes, you have a choice to either obey or disobey. You have a choice to make. And when you choose to obey, it starts you on the cycle of blessing, then testing, then hearing, then obeying, then blessing. You begin in this cycle where you're hearing from God. You're getting blessed by God. You are then believing God and you are tested by God. But your faith is helping you on and you're hearing more from God, which leads to more blessings and more obedience. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God which comes through the prophet of God. But when you choose to disobey the word of God, the same word comes, you then follow a different cycle. You are now in the cycle of disobedience, which leads to punishment and cursing. And many of us are living punishment and cursing in our lives simply because we have disobeyed God. But when you disobey God, it leads to some kind of returning or repentance. Yes, Lord, I'm sorry. I won't do this again. And then you see that God is turning in your life. But what you see lets you believe that it's over. And then you choose to further disobey. And the more you disobey is the more you stay in the cycle of destruction. And this is why the scriptures remind us, the scriptures remind us that life and death is in the power of the tongue, but it's talking about God's word through the prophet. Brothers and sisters, hear me clearly. The problem with our churches, the problem with our ministries is that we do not understand the cycles that we are in. When Israel was in the destruction death cycle and the prophet came to the people when Samuel was coming and they saw Samuel coming, the people were like, are you bringing us good news or not? Why? Because the prophet was coming when the people were in disobedience. And when you understand the cycles that people are in, then the prophet will say, listen, you are in disobedience. You can expect punishment from God. That's what the prophet did. He knew where they were and when the people were being punished and when the people were being persecuted if the prophet came he would say to them repent, repent because why? He's trying to get them off of the cycle of death and destruction. So when good things are happening in your life, my brothers and sisters, when you are facing awesome good blessings in your life, do understand that it will only be a matter of time before you are tested. 
When someone comes to me as a pastor and they say, Pastor, look, we've got all these blessings. I got a new house. I got a new whatever. I go, wonderful. God is blessing you. My job as a prophet is to say, expect the testing. And when the testing comes, you must stay the course because God is going to speak to you in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your tribulation, in the midst of your worries and your fears. He's going to speak to you, but you must rely on what you hear, not on what you see. Because if you rely on what you see, it will lead you to disobedience. But if you rely on what you hear, it will lead you to obedience and even greater blessings in the kingdom of God. Listen, being a prophet is not, a ro- not rocket science. It is like knowing that a woman is, is three months pregnant. You can say to her, hey, you're going to have a child at least within the next three, six months. Well, not because you know so much, but you understood the cycle of life. Nathan came to David, and I hope this is blessing you in some way. Because I want you to understand that God is transcendent. He's over everything. But as the church, our job, our responsibility is to understand the cycle that you are in in your life. That when I come to you with a prophetic word, it's not my word. It is thus saith the Lord. If you are being blessed, thus saith the Lord, prepare for a testing. If you're going through a testing in your life, my prophetic word is prepare to hear from God. This is how the prophetic voice works works and the problem is the church cannot hear the church cannot lead the church cannot help because we have lost the prophetic voice so based on what I've just shared I went through all of that illustration based on what I've just shared prophets need to be able to understand which cycle the nation was operating in whether the cycle of safety whether the cycle of death or destruction and depending on which cycle they were in would determine the appropriate word in its due season so let's turn back to our text verse 5 says so David's anger David's the king Nathan comes with a prophetic word so David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And if you jump down to verse 7, Nathan says, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Here it is. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives in your keeping. Brothers and sisters, all that I'm sharing with you right now is Nathan telling David that he was in the cycle of blessing. He was in the place of blessing. God gave you all of this. God gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And then God even goes on further to say, and if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. In other words, Nathan is saying to David, listen, you were in the cycle of the blessings of God. But why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his, here it is, in his sight? Meaning, you now, David, you stood in your castle, You looked across. You saw this woman, Bathsheba. You relied on what you saw. Your authority got to your head. You started to abuse your authority. And whenever, my brothers and sisters, you rely on what you see, it always will lead to the place of disobedience. So David had Bathsheba come, and then he slept with her, and then eventually had her husband killed in battle. Brothers and sisters, 
listen to me carefully, rely on what you hear from God, not on what you see with your own eyes. We see fake news on TV. We see all of these crazy things going on around us. Listen, the church has a responsibility to tell you that you need to get off the cycle of destruction and get back on the cycle of life. And how you get there, brothers and sisters, is through one word, and that one word is repentance. You must repent. And when you repent, you're going to see the salvation of the Lord, but you must listen to the voice of God. Nathan the prophet confronted King David. But notice carefully as I get ready to close. Nathan did not approach the king and say, David, you have taken Uriah the Hittite's wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword. No, no. For if Nathan had confronted David by telling him what he did wrong, David would have denied it, he would have deflected it, he would have denounced it, and he probably would have even directed some kind of destruction to the prophet. Because the truth of the matter is, brothers and sisters, no one, no king, no leader, no president likes to hear the church or anyone else tell them that they are wrong. This would have set up a he said, she said scenario which could not be proven. David would say, I didn't do that. It wasn't me. Yeah, you caught me with the Cheetos. It wasn't me. So God in sending Nathan to David told the story of a rich man who abused his power and authority, which appealed to David's sense of morality and fairness. And in so doing, David, out of his own mouth, spoke his own judgment and condemnation. Nathan showed him he was wrong. And after David was convicted, Nathan spoke truth to power. This is the prophetic voice. The prophetic voice is first understanding what cycle people are in, whether the cycle of destruction or the cycle of life. Then having the courage to confront leadership at great personal risk. Then you have to meet people where they are by showing them themselves. Let them express their own convictions and then speak God's truth. This is not personal. This is not personal. This is relational and something that is sorely lacking in our society today. Many of us have lost our prophetic voice because we have become drunk with the wine of materialism and self-indulgence. But the bigger question for you is simply this. What cycle are you on? That's the real question for this message. What cycle are you on? Are you on the cycle of destruction or are you on the cycle of safety? Are you on the cycle of death or are you on the cycle of life? And even when you think about the prophetic ontology, the word comes to the king. And this is why the Bible tells us, brothers and sisters, pray for our leaders. It's not saying that you should pray for them simply because you agree with what they're doing, but knowing that if they as leaders in our society are not operating in a manner that is consistent with what God requires, they will take the entire nation, dare I say even the whole world, with them on the cycle of destruction. 
and the prophetic voice of the church is our responsibility to say, Biden, Trump, Obama, whomever, you are wrong. That's our job, not to go along to get along, but to speak truth to power. But brothers and sisters, hear me from my spirit. It must also happen in the church. You are wrong. That's the prophetic voice, and it requires courage. So which cycle are you on, and which cycle are we on, and what is it going to take for us to move to the cycle of life? Secondly, who is your Nathan? Who speaks truth to you in your life and into your own many kingdoms? And when you fall, do you hear the message? You are the one. You are at fault. It's nobody else's. You are the one. You are the man. Well, the scriptures let us know that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So here is my prophetic word to you today wherever you are and whatever you are thinking about. My prophetic word to you today is that you are the one. You are the one that is at fault. Everything that is going wrong in your life in the cycle of destruction is simply because you have made choices on your own to follow what you see and not what you hear. And today, we're hearing the prophetic voice. You are the one. But today, <laughs> today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For this is the only prophetic voice that can save you and me from our sins. Christ died. And when he died and gave us his holy word, the word comes to you to either say obey or disobey but choose today whom you will serve and don't blame God if you have not made it to the cycle of life may the Lord richly richly bless you my beloved